0: In Genesis chapter 12, the grand narrative of Abraham begins. And it is a story with which many of us are familiar. If you know about Abraham, you know about Genesis chapter 12, when God seemingly speaks to him out of the blue and tells him to leave his homeland and go to a land that he would show him and makes a lot of big promises. To Abraham, Among those, God says, I will make you uh, from you, Abraham, a great nation. And through your family, through your descendants, all the families of earth will be blessed. He is the father of the faithful. And we learn in the New Testament, he is not just the father over the Hebrews or over Israel, over God's people in the Old Testament by our faith in Jesus Christ. He is also our Father. Uh, Spiritually speaking, he is our spiritual ancestor. Through Christ, we've been brought into his family. And he was also, as we read in the book of Genesis, a man of great faith himself. When God told him to go, he didn't hesitate. He went. And when God in Genesis chapter 15 told him as an old man to look up into the sky and to try to number the stars... He says, this is how many offspring, this is how many descendants you will have. So shall your offspring be. He said elsewhere, look at the sands of the seashore. And scripture tells us that as an old man with no children of his own, he believed God. And so this is a man who is not only the father of the faithful, the faithful but also faithful, uh, a man of great, uh, impressive faith himself. But in Genesis chapter 16, we find what is, well, an unflattering story about Abraham in which he does not exhibit exceptional faith along with his wife, Sarah. And at this time, they are in Scripture called Sarah and Abram. But I'll be using their more familiar names by which they go later in uh, the Scriptures This story also involves someone else, someone I want us to focus our attention on this morning. And her name is Hagar. Scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 16, I hope you've uh, found that passage with me in your Bible. Genesis 16, verse 1, Scripture tells us three things that we need to know about Hagar if we are to understand her story and her role in Scripture. She is female which should already be evident by my use of pronouns. She is Egyptian and she is a servant. She's a woman, she's a foreigner, and she is of the servant class. So automatically we know that she occupies a lowly place in this culture. Uh, 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 She has a humble status. In the first few verses of chapter 16, Hagar is given to Abraham by Sarah, Abraham and Sarah have been promised children, but those children or that child of promise has not yet come. Sarah gets impatient with God. And so she says, Abraham, why don't you take my servant Hagar? And she can be a surrogate is the word we would use today. We can have children through her because the promised offspring had not yet come. And this was a common practice we know in ancient Near Eastern cultures. And Hagar conceives. She becomes pregnant and she begins to look down on her mistress Sarah because of Sarah's inability so far to bear children. And Sarah turns on her and she treats her harshly. So harshly, in fact, that Hagar runs away. And from this story, from these few verses, we could go in a lot of different directions with this sermon. We could talk about Sarah's lack of faith. We could talk about how she tried to take matters into her own hands. She tried to engineer this outcome apart from faith in God, who promised that Abraham and Sarah would have a child. We could talk about Abraham's lack of leadership in his own home. His passivity here about all these goings on between Sarah and Hagar is disconcerting. It's concerning for the the father of the faithful, a great man of faith, to just sort of Let this go on and and slide into the background. But the one I want us to focus on today. Is the figure. Of Hagar. She is now pregnant. She is in the wilderness. She is alone. And it really is hard to imagine. Someone in a more vulnerable position. Than this. I mean you would be hard pressed. To depict somebody in a more precarious situation than the one in which Hagar finds herself. And your heart has to be pretty hard to not read this text and feel for her. To not feel some sympathy towards her in this extremely difficult position. And of course there are Hagar's in our world today. There are people in deep trouble. There are those who are forgotten. There are those who go unseen. Who are they? Maybe the refugee family escaping a war-torn country. That persecuted Christian in China... Who every day is so hungry for the word of God, he risks imprisonment to gather with fellow Christians to worship. The incarcerated teenager. The single black mother living in an inner city neighborhood. The unborn child she carries. We could go on. We're talking about Hagar's in our world today. We're talking about those who feel alone. Those who feel like no one's in their corner. and No one's got their back. Those who are helpless. Like Hagar. In chapter 16, verse 6, Hagar is on the run. But what Scripture does next is unexpected. We might think... Because we know the overall story. We might think that Scripture, that the Bible would just leave things there with Hagar. Would just let her run off and sort of forget about her. Because, you know, the story is really about Abraham and Sarah. But what Scripture does instead is, the spotlight follows Hagar into the wilderness. And that's surprising, because as I just said, as we all know, this story is about Abraham. Abraham. And we know that the child of promise does not come through Hagar, the servant, the the foreign slave girl, but through Sarah. And we know that God's covenant is not established with Ishmael, the son that Hagar would soon give birth to, but with Isaac, the forthcoming son of Abraham and Sarah. This is the primary storyline of Scripture that begins with Abraham, that eventually culminates... In the arrival and the ministry and the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is where all this is heading. So, why in the world would the focus of Scripture leave Abraham and Sarah and follow Hagar out into the wilderness? What are we doing out here with Hagar? Well, let's find out. In Genesis chapter 16, starting at verse 7, we read. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. So we know geographically now that Hagar is trying to go back to Egypt, trying to go back to her home country. But the angel of the Lord finds her in verse eight, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai or Sarah, the angel of the Lord speaks To the slave girl. And we should assume that these are the very words of God. Speaking through his messenger. And he says, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. So what happens? What happens out in the wilderness with Hagar? Well, put simply... God shows up and we shouldn't miss the fact that God calls this girl by name. And he is the first to do so in the text. Do you notice that? Maybe you didn't. I didn't notice it in my first reading. But if you go back to Sarah, she is my servant. To Abraham, she is servant. Your servant to God. She is Hagar. He calls her by name. Which demonstrates her value to him. And his care for her. The angel of the Lord says Hagar. And Hagar doesn't know what her future holds. But God knows what her future holds. Because he goes on to tell her in the next few verses... She's going to have a son. She is to name him Ishmael. Which means, by the way, God hears. And that is not insignificant to understanding this passage. And he promises to multiply her offspring. He makes a similar promise to her that he makes to Abraham. He, in a sense, brings her under this umbrella of promise of, a, of uh, creating a great nation. He says... She is to produce many offspring. He will multiply her offspring. And then, in verse 13, she addresses the Lord with a special name. Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. She addresses the Lord with a name that only appears right here. It's the only occurrence in all the Bible of this name for God. She says, let me read verse 13. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. I have experienced the presence of the one who cares for me. You are a God of seeing. The Hebrew, El Roe, A God of seeing or a God who sees me. Hagar has been abandoned. She's been betrayed. She's been cast off. She feels forgotten. She feels unseen. But she's not unseen by God. Because God, as she calls him, is El-Roi, the God who sees. You see, scripture follows Hagar into the wilderness Because God has followed her there. God has gone out with her to that lonely place. No one else may see her. But he sees her. And by the way, he's not done seeing her. Because there is a sequel to this account in Genesis chapter 21 that would be worth you reading later on. That we don't have time to get to this morning. But this is not even the end of Hagar's story and of her interaction with the God. Who sees. And God. God sees all the Hagar's of the world. He does. He sees the ones who are marginalized. The ones who are oppressed. The ones who feel forgotten. The, one, the ones who Jesus calls the least of these in Matthew chapter 25. You see, he sees that unborn child that no one else sees. In his mother's womb. As the psalmist says beautifully in Psalm 139, verse 13, starting there. Speaking to God, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me. When as yet there was none of them. You saw me. Even when the rest of the world had not yet seen me. You saw me. Even before my own mother met me. And God never stops seeing his beloved human creation. God never sleeps or slumbers. He watches over us from the time we are conceived to the moment we take our last breath and beyond. He sees you. He cares for you. He sees those in trouble. Those in dire straits do not wander outside of his watchful eye. He sees those who are vulnerable, who are oppressed, who are forgotten, all the Hagar's of the world. And I'm reminded of what Jesus says was the reason that he came. When Jesus goes to Nazareth, as it's recorded for us in Luke chapter 4, he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stands up to read before the assembly. And the scroll that is handed to him is the prophet Isaiah. And he unrolls it and he reads these words from Isaiah chapter 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are, are pressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls it up. And he hands it back to the attendant. And he sits back down. And then he says, and this is the most significant part. Then he says, today. This scripture. Has been fulfilled in your hearing. That is what I came to do, Jesus says. I have come to declare good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. My ministry will accomplish this. these prophetic words. These are fulfilled through me and, of course, beyond me by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, working through the apostles in the early church and beyond. That is what I came to do, to care for the last and the lost and the least of these. Those who are unseen by the rest of the world. God sees those who are unseen. The question is, do we? As God's people, do we see them? You know, one of the deepest, earliest human desires is to be seen. If you have children, you know this to be the case because your kids are all the time saying, hey, daddy, look, watch. Look at what I can do. Kids want to be seen. They they. Want us to be impressed with them, and that doesn't quite go away when you grow up. So much of what we see on social media are, well, grown ups longing to be seen. When I get on Facebook, I see cries for help. I see people who just need someone to know that they exist and that they haven't been forgotten. We don't have to look outside this community. To find those who feel unseen. The drug addict, and of course, the household ravaged by opioid addiction, the elderly woman in the nursing home with very little family in the area, but because she's there and not here, it's sort of out of sight, out of mind, and we kind of forget that she's even still alive. The abuse victim, underprivileged children. I went to a funeral on Friday. And by the way, let me make a recommendation to you. If you want your faith to be bolstered, if you want to be encouraged and inspired to live a better Christian life, go to the funeral of a faithful Christian. Those who do this on a regular basis, you know what I'm talking about. It is more strengthening for me to hear the eulogy of a dearly departed saint than to listen to 10 sermons. I leave lifted up and inspired and encouraged. And that's what happened to me on Friday. It was the grandmother of a dear friend of mine who passed away almost 90 years old. But the story was told that when she and her sisters were little girls living in Hardin County, Tennessee, not going to church anywhere with their parents, an older gentleman, a brother in Christ, would come by their Little modest home every Sunday morning in his logging truck. And those girls would get on the back of that truck and they would ride to church every Sunday morning. And that's how they came to know the Lord. And this lady grew up to be a Christian, was buried a Christian. And her sons are Christians and their wives. And her grandchildren are Christians and her great grandchildren are being raised in the church. So you see what a difference it can make when somebody opens their eyes and sees these girls from a hard-working, blue-collar family. That truck could have easily passed by their homestead each day and went on to church, minded his own business. But because he saw and stopped and cared, picked them up, Generations have been transformed with the message of the gospel. Such is the power of choosing to see. All around, people are crying out to be seen. Do you see me? Do you know I'm there? The question for us is, are are our eyes open? Are we looking? Are we listening? You know, I said we don't have to look outside this community, but truth be told, we don't have to look outside this building. And we probably have people within these four walls today, people who relate more to the story of Hagar than to Abraham and Sarah. They relate more to the girl who feels forgotten than the couple who produced offspring that eventually led to the arrival of Jesus Christ. You can relate more to her because you feel forgotten. You feel unseen. We probably could scarcely imagine the hurt and the pain that some of you have carried in your heart into this building this morning. And I want you to know, if you are here with unseen hurt, with unseen burdens, I want you to know this. God has followed you into your wilderness of despair and heartache. And he's with you there. And he sees you when no one else sees you. Because he is the God who sees. As Hagar referred to him all those centuries ago. He is El. Roe. You know, we've had a nationwide discussion in recent weeks and months about wearing masks. And good people fall down on different sides of this issue. Some believe we need to wear them all the time. Others don't believe it's important. It's been kind of a divisive issue. I will say it better not. we better not let it divide the body of Christ. We dare not let it do that. But I say this to say, before all this mask stuff, before coronavirus, a lot of us, well, we've been wearing masks to church for a long time, haven't we? We've been trying to hide the hurt and the heartache from our brothers and sisters. Not only from our brothers and sisters, but from God. You can't hide that from God. He sees through that. He sees through that veneer of happiness. He sees through to the hurt in your heart. You are always under his watchful eye. And he follows you and looks out for you as he followed Hagar in the Old Testament. And through his son, Jesus, he can bind up your wounds today. If only you would lay them before Him. If only you would bring them to the foot of the cross, He can bring healing and wholeness to your heart and to your life. He can. And we can help you. We can pray for you. We can pray with you. We can help lift up your burdens and, and lay them before the very throne of God. Or if you're not a Christian, if you're not a baptized believer, if you're not immersed, then you haven't received all of the blessings that come through faith in Jesus Christ. And I would urge you, I beg of you, take that step today. Do what Camden and Kason and Maggie and Jackson have all done in recent weeks. Come and confess the beautiful name of Christ and repent of your sins and be baptized. So that those can be washed away and you'll come up a new creature. And God will ever be by your side into eternity. Would you do that this morning as we stand and sing?